0: At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer you a personal question?
1: Now would have seeing a perfect time. What if I did the eye? I'm a cybernetic organism,
0: living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens.
1: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire?
0: And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash
1: acquire. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Hello, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job to... Deconstruct world-class performers of all different types from the worlds of business, military, entertainment, athletics, and sometimes combinations of different fields. And that is the case with this interview. Of course, the objective is to tease out tactics, routines, habits, specifics that you can use. And my guest this time around is by popular request Jason Kalipa. That's K-H-A-L-I-P-A. You can say hello. At Jason Kalipa on Instagram, Twitter, etc., he is one of the fittest men in the world—a title that was officially his when he earned it at the CrossFit Games and won the CrossFit Games in 2008. He is an eight-time CrossFit Games competitor, a three-time Team USA CrossFit member, and among other athletic feats, he has deadlifted 550 pounds, squatted 450 pounds, and performed 64 pull-ups at a body weight of 210 pounds. This podcast, very important note. Of course, you are most likely listening to this as audio only. We have a bunch of video bonuses and tutorials from Jason recorded in my home gym and elsewhere, which you can find at youtube.com forward slash Tim Ferriss, two R's and two S's. Keeping in mind that beyond sports, Jason is also a very successful entrepreneur. He is the founder and CEO of NC Fit, which has more than 20 locations in eight different cities. And he is the co-founder of Box to Business, which is a nonprofit that helps gyms become profitable businesses. Jason uses the proceeds from Box to Business to help fight pediatric cancer. We cover a ton of stuff in this episode, a lot of specifics, a lot of stories, including his training and diet, the hardest workouts he's ever performed, the mentor who taught him how to sell anything, which is hilarious how he and his family have coped with his daughter's battle with cancer, how he has navigated going from competitive athlete to very, very successful business owner, and much, much more. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Jason is a great guy, and he is very, very generous with sharing his knowledge. And don't forget to check out the tutorial videos, his favorite warmups, et cetera, at youtube.com forward slash Tim Ferriss. Jason, we'll do a quick sound check. Could you please tell me what you had for breakfast?
1: I had kale smoothie and an egg with bacon on top. One egg with bacon on top? One egg. Whole egg? Nope, because I was on the road at 4 a.m. I went to Starbucks and I took the sandwich. I took it apart and I just had the egg with the bacon on top. Nice. And then the kale smoothie was before you left the house? A kale smoothie was uh, at the gym before I. Yeah, bit, <laughs> shortly after. What is in the kale smoothie besides kale? Kale, peanut butter, um, some of this uh, progenix, uh, like pro- protein powder-like, and almond milk. Fantastic.
0: Well, I think we're just going to keep rolling since that sound check was so successful. <laughs> <laughs> and while my Pooch Molly is going to make a racket thrown around an elk antler, we're just going to get to it. <laughs> so welcome to the show and welcome to my, li- my living room. Thanks for yeah, coming. Yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, we just had some fun demoing things and uh, certainly learning things. I wasn't demoing anything. I was observing in the gym, in the garage. So for people who are listening and want some additional video, which I highly, highly encourage, just go to tim.blog forward podcast and click on this episode. Or you can go to uh, YouTube, Tim Ferriss, 2Rs, 2Ss, and you can find a bunch of video. Now, you are considered, and I know you're not going to say this, but a demigod within the world of, of CrossFit by a lot of people. People look up to you for good reason. And I'm, I'm curious to know, if you were to look back at your peak competitive uh success what do you think the advantages were that you had or developed like why were you as successful as you were and of course you have incredible work ethic and so on but if, if you had to sort of dig into that what do you think the 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 elements were that made you as successful as you were
1: i, I think primarily it was that i really enjoyed training mm-hmm. i didn't do it you know a lot of people they like to compete i didn't necessarily like to compete or or did like to compete i i enjoyed competing but i enjoyed training more i liked being in an environment that just pushed me i liked i liked um getting comfortable with uncomfortable i liked leaving the gym and feeling like i just got my butt kicked it made me feel really good about what i accomplished and then i went on and tried to accomplish that same concept in the rest of my life right mm-hmm. and i think that was something I, I really picked up on early on when i first found crossfit back in 2006 and then I won the CrossFit Games in 08 and I was able to compete eight more times, mainly because I just loved to train, you know, and, and, and the byproduct or the expression of that was my ability to go out there and compete.
0: Do you, are there any particular workouts that come to mind or exercises, anything that you find particularly enjoyable, even though they might be very painful?
1: I mean, I I like the ones that give you the biggest return, right? I mean, I think if you're doing thrusters, yes, they're very challenging, but they give you a huge return in terms of benefit, in terms of the way you look, in terms of how you feel, the byproduct of strength. So I think thrusters, burpees, those type of things, if I had to pick several items I would only do or several movements I'd only do for the rest of my life, it'd be things like that. Mm -hmm.
0: If we were to say, look, well, we're going to look forward in a second. I want to keep focusing on that for a moment any particular uh, if you wanted to gauge say the the fitness right the cross fitness of anyone for that matter are there any particular tests that you would put them through to evaluate that whether
1: it's like a, a certain variation of fran or anything like that i, I would just look at like different metrics i look at you know what is your mile time uh, how many pull-ups can you complete uh, what is your max deadlift back squat press um and then start looking at a few like the movements that combine both, right? And so I think sometimes there's people that are really good at running and there's some people that are really good at um, lifting. But I think the beauty is when you can combine those two. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of like the Frans and the, the different types of workout, like a fight gone bad score, those are good ways. To what determine. is a fight gone bad? So fight gone bad was originally created uh, with um, BJ Penn and Greg Glassman. Oh yeah. Long time ago. And basically it was-, was it's This was back when BJ was probably training at the Half Gracie Academy in Mountain View. Old school, right? Yeah. Long time ago. And essentially what it is, is one minute, one minute, one minute, five, five movements. And then you one minute rest and you do that for three rounds. What are the five movements? So it's a sumo del high pull. There's a push press. There's a rower, a wall ball and a box jump. And all of the movements are light enough that you can keep moving on them. And so, you know, when BJ finished, the, as the story goes, when BJ finished, it was like, oh man, that felt like a fight gone bad. And so that's kind of how the story goes. <laughs>
0: just as a random side note i used to go to these chiropractors the jansens who worked on a lot of fighters and i remember they described bj penn's hip flexors as the hip flexors of a camel they said they were just like a quadricep on normal humans Just rocks. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you were to say uh want to get someone hooked on exercising because you enjoyed the training not everyone enjoys training so let's say you're taking someone you want to get them hooked on that drug of training Uh, is there any particular approach that you would take i mean you've coached a lot of people you've i'm sure encountered every different type of person from nfl player to say engineer who's never played sports and everybody in between Uh, what do you do to get someone hooked so that they continue to come to the gym
1: yes i mean i've been really fortunate you know over the years um, I started a company NC fit and we have a ton of members and I've been able to look at it and say, Hey, what, what is generally gets them to kind of stay with us? And more times than not, it's starting off slow and then working their way up. I think a lot of people get gung ho, right? They come in. Oh, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to do this one or that. I'll, I'll eat whatever you tell me. I'll do whatever you tell me. And then all of a sudden a month later, they're gone. Right. So I think the secret to success is, Hey, just take your time. Right. This is not a, this is, this is a lifelong journey, right? It's not like a one month, you know, fad. It's, you know, I want to be fit and I want to be fit for the rest of my life. And so I think it's important to recognize that and to make small steps towards the right direction. You know, take out sugar, do this, do that. Small little steps, Mm -hmm. then go into the gym and start doing certain stuff. But I think finding a camaraderie, finding a coach and finding a community to support you are rule number one. Mm -hmm. I think that doing it on your own is very challenging. You know, you and I were talking about cooking earlier and it's like, if I want to learn how to cook, really, really learn how to cook, I could learn from a book. I could learn from maybe watching a show but to really kind of dive into the nuances, I would need to have someone to kind of show me in the kitchen what I would do next, at least for me, right? I don't have enough experience with it. And so when people go to the gym, sure, they could read books, they could do stuff. But I think having someone there like a coach advise them on different things is, is, is gonna be an easy way for them to get more success from mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah, I think the, uh, just to reiterate that, I think the social accountability piece is huge. So having some type of, of social cohesion is just gigantic. And for people who are listening who might be, in the sticks don't think you have access to that you can certainly find communities online like coach.me and other uh other other sites or services along those lines but the the point you made also that i think is really important to underscore is in the beginning focusing on the good program that you will follow versus the perfect program that you'll fit uh, yeah. that, that you'll quit because a lot of people come in like you said and they're like okay i haven't done anything since college now i'm going to do a two-hour workout five times a week as my New Year's resolution and they just flame out or they get injured or fill in the blank and like you said they're gone a few weeks later as opposed to saying look <laughs> since you're starting from zero let's just do whatever it might be H- half hour workout twice a week so that you develop the habit and then you can always make it harder, more complex later. But if you make it too hard, too complex in the beginning, you're going to be gone.
1: Yeah. Like we have a program that we've incorporated called the rise program and what it incorporates the nutritionist, uh, a mindset coach and a, and a fitness coach. And for a lot of people, it's all a mindset, right? It's all for decades. They haven't exercised. They've used food as an outlet or whatever it may be, right? And that's okay, but they need to get over that in their head to truly make an impact on, and, and change for for a long time, right? Instead of just making it like this short-term thing that you really get down to the root of the problem and make it as more of a part of their um, daily routine instead of just something they do, right? And and that starts, but to start it slowly and then work it up is, is much easier than just to kind of go crazy and then, It just I haven't seen it work as well.
0: And then, yeah, right, have a nuclear meltdown and have to restart again for your next New Year's resolution. That's right. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take a couple of questions here that have been uh, volleyed over via the Internet, because there are some really good ones, and they range from training to family to business. Uh, So we're going to get to that in a second. But I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned NC Fit. How many locations do you currently have? 24 24 locations. Yeah, so you've been very successful as an athlete and Many people who put in the effort and focus that you did in athletics are so singularly focused that they have trouble and I've observed this in friends transferring then to a career outside of competitor right sponsored athlete uh, if you were sitting down with an accomplished athlete or not, who wanted to, say, uh, get into business, and let's just for the sake of simplicity say it's a similar business. They're somewhere in the Midwest and they want to get into uh, fitness and gyms and, and so on. What advice would you give them or resources would you point them to uh, to increase the likelihood of success?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'd ask them, and I, and I get asked this often, is, you know, hey, I want to open up a gym. What do you think? I'm like, okay, well, let's start with these three simple questions, right? Number one, um, are you qualified to do so, right? What makes you qualified to open up this business? Do you have um, an expertise in it? Do you? How, how are you going to basically give yourself this competitive advantage that you know that when you go to open it up, you're going to win, right? right? What Re- is your competitive advantage?
0: What's the credibility? Right. Yeah.
1: Just because you like to work out doesn't mean you should necessarily go open up a gym. Right. I love to eat. Yeah. I love food. But I sure as hell are not going to open up a restaurant because I'm not qualified to do so. I don't have the training, the expertise, right? And it's okay if you don't in certain areas, just go find an expert in those other areas, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I'd ask of you is, you know, are you doing it with a strong intention, a strong why, right? Like, what is your why? Why do you want to open up this business? Is it to make money? Because if it's just to make money, just like competing at the CrossFit Games, You need to have a strong internal why, because when your back's up against the wall and it's very challenging, you need to revert back to that why to push through. And in business, it's not always, you know, rainbows and unicorns, right? There's challenging times. And so you need to be able to revert back to your internal why of why you started to be able to do well. So I would say, A, how are you going to win, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me how you're going to win. Why why are you better than the other guy down the street? Two, do you have a strong reason why you want to open it? And then three, is it a good time in your life to do it? right? Is it a good time for you to open it? Do you you just have a baby? Um, Do you have tons of mortgages and different types of stuff, right? Or is it a good time in your life to go ahead and, you know, go open up this business is really what I like to ask people.
0: What are the most common mistakes that you see or that you think you avoided? Like if you look back at your business, another way to phrase it so you can tackle it however you want is, what were some of the most important decisions that you made looking back
1: I think looking back, it was understanding that back in the day, you weren't going to make money off your competitive fitness career. And so I had to open up a business and I had to open it. And I think one of the best things I ever did was I recognized to try and rob and steal as much as I can knowledge from people around me. So when I was in high school, I worked at the front desk at a conventional gym. Then when I graduated from high school and I went to college, I started working um, as a sales associate there and I started making good money. So as I'm going to a junior college, I went to Vest Valley, actually. I was there and I I just got woken up. Like, no one cares about me. I was like the jock and I was like the, you know, kind of like the class clown in high school. Then all of a sudden you get to college, it's like, they don't care about you, right? So I really turned a corner. I said, hey, look, you know, I need to take responsibility for what I need to get done. I want to be successful. And so I started going to school full time, working full time. But what I also did was I learned how to talk to people. I learned how to sell which was really important because in my line of work in the fitness industry, you're a coach and you're, you're talking to people, you're coaching them. But if you're a business owner, you also need to learn how to sell. But one of the things I would also do is on the, you know, about twice a week, I would go and ride the elliptical with the owner of the business and I would just pick his brain, understand what's going on. I think one of those things early on was recognizing I wanted to learn everything I could from his mistakes so I didn't make as many. And one of the things that we've done a lot is delegate out things Right. Not, you know, have enough of a humbleness to be like, Hey, look, I can't do everything best, the best. I need to hire outside people. And I think I learned that early on from him, learning from him, some of his mistakes.
0: How did you convince him to do the elliptical with you? What was the pitch, right? You were in sales. So how did you get the owner to hang out with the former class clown on the elliptical?
1: So funny enough he really took me on as like a mentor he really did like he really mentored me really well and he would ride the elliptical as part of his fitness routine and i would just go over there and just go meet with him and i don't think he disliked it because we would just you know bullshit have a good conversation i think it kind of made the time go by a little bit quicker mm-hmm.
0: got it so you would just roll up when he was working out i would just roll up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh when your back is against the wall you mentioned the why so when you were competing and say, this is actually a question that came up at least once from uh people who are listening to the podcast one want, want me to ask you what why did you go back to when you were competing in the games? I mean, at the time right or or uh, sorry to keep rephrasing my questions, but I've had too much caffeine and that is uh when you were say behind or you saw someone gaining on you uh the why or like what is the self talk to make sure that you don't fall out of at, like that you don't drop the ball or otherwise just get get psyched out
1: well i think positive self-talk is a really hard thing to learn but it's an important trait to develop mm-hmm. and i've learned that um over the years with the mindset coach that i work with where you know you try and find ways to reframe things in your head if something's going wrong instead of saying oh my legs hurt you say hey focus on midfoot strike if you're running or whatever right you try and rephrase it into a positive positive. and reverting back to your why i think it's really important that going into these games what i would do is I would tell myself that I've made a commitment to myself, my family, to to go out there and do this, and I wanted to do it because I wanted to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. I wanted to see where I stack up against my competitors, and I wanted to do it for me, right? And at the time, I didn't have as many other obligations. Now, as life changes, right, things change, but at the time, my why was, hey, I made a commitment. I'm going to do this, and I remember one year we did this Camp Pendleton race, and I was it's a ten mile, just crazy hill run, and I was like halfway done. I just, you know, I'm like going through like this desert and I look around there's no one around I'm just like oh gosh and I see a tarantula this is a true story just walking across I'm just looking at him like what the hell or a big ass spider maybe it wasn't a tarantula it was a big ass <laughs> I was like well, what am I doing out here right and I had to instantly revert back in my head you know what I made a commitment that commitment was I was going to finish out these games so I better slap myself in the face stop being a wimp and finish it because if I allowed myself to give in then what other things would I allow myself to give into? right? I made a commitment to myself and I want to live up to that. Now over the years, because of other things happening in my life, I haven't been able to make that strong of a commitment. So therefore I choose not even to go out there and and, and, and attempt.
0: Mm-hmm. And the I'm very fascinated by these little moments or days or weeks that can really affect the complete trajectory of people's lives. And you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, You get to college age, you realize, all right, I'm no longer the class clown in high school. And you did a course correct, right? You started going to school full time. So what triggered that? Was it a
1: particular conversation? Was it a particular afternoon? Yeah. What was it? So, you know, so going out of high school, I thought I was going to play football. It ended up not working out. So I ended up going to West Valley. And, you know, first day, it wasn't that big of a deal, right? I get to, I get there the first day. I'm like, ah, I'm at West Valley. No big deal. I'll transfer to another school in a couple of years. But all my friends had gone to a four-year Santa Clara University, which where I ended up graduating from, right? But I just remember first day of school, we're going around and we're all saying our names, right? And it's like, hey, I'm John. This is my first, second year. Hey, I'm Mary. This is my, you know, whatever, second semester, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you have this woman next to me, and I kid you not, right? My first class of my first day at West Valley. And the lady goes, hi, my name is uh, Suzanne. I I can't remember the name exactly. She goes, but for a fact, this is my seventh year at West Valley. And I just remember looking at her and looking at this teacher and just being like, dude, I gotta get my ass in check and I need to get my shit together, right? And that's what I told myself, (laughs) right? And so that moment I left there, I went to the counselor's office and said, hey, look, I need to figure out the fastest way to get the heck out of this school. And so I ended up um, taking full class loads, doing whatever I had to do. I ended up applying to Santa Clara two times after that and not being accepted because I tried after one year, I didn't get accepted. I tried for like a year and a half, I didn't get accepted. Then after two years, I was accepted, which got me on track to graduate in four. So I graduated with all my peers, which was great. I graduated with my wife actually, which was really cool. Um, But that was the moment that really like kind of sparked it. Like, dude, like playtime's over. High school's done. It's, you're in the real world and no one really cares about you. You better get your ass in check.
0: And when you applied, making me think of Rudy a little bit. So you, get, you applied, didn't get in, applied, didn't get in, then applied and got in. What did you change in between the not getting accepted and getting accepted?
1: Well, I mean, I had more courses underneath my belt. So what got happened it. is okay. they didn't have to use my high school GPA anymore. Right. Because you were they able could, to only use they my could, college. They
0: could use your, tra- your credits that would transfer. That's right. Got it. All right. So... So many questions, but I'm gonna pull some in from the audience, this is from Fern Hernandez. What are your thoughts on the frequency of doing CrossFit? Ask another way, what benefits do you lose or gain from doing, say, twice a week versus four to five times a week?
1: I mean, I think by design, when you look at, like, a program, and if it's constantly varied, by design, you should be able to do it, you know, five days a week, and you should be okay. If the program isn't appropriate, and the volume is good, and you're listening to your body, you should be able to perform that program you know, five days a week because of the variance, right? You should be able to go long one day, heavy one day, you know, below parallel one day. And that just depends on how much effort people put into the program itself. So two days is better than no days, but two days is also challenging because you go in, you get really sore and then you recover and then you get really sore again and your body never gets in this rhythm. Mm -hmm. So assuming you go to a gym that has good programming, I think you can go, you know, five days a week. And you and I were
0: also though, just to touch on good programming in the gym when we were messing around, well, messing around. You were demonstrating back squat. We're talking about uh, five by five and so on. These five five sets of five reps and so on. If the variance doesn't exist and someone's trying to do five by five seven times a week. <laughs> with below yeah, that's parallel a parallel
1: squat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you, gotta, you gotta have a program that has variants, right? So the way we do it at our gym is you know, we have one person who creates this template, the skeleton, then he creates the workouts, and then we have it peer-reviewed by six other of our coaches, and then it gets back to him. So we try and have a lot of checks and balances in our program, because regardless of who's programming the program, there's always gonna be some type of bias towards what you like. Sure, right? yeah. Always. And so you need to have other people have checks and balances on that. How might...
0: Someone create a skeleton of a program, and I'm not saying just Joe Blow in the street. I'm saying one of your coaches, right? What what does that process look like? What are they thinking about or considering as they do it?
1: Well, I man, I think they're looking at time domains, right? So you're looking at, you know, are we talking five minutes? Are we talking twelve minutes? Are we talking twenty minutes? Are we are talking thirty or forty minute long this is workouts? The, okay, right? I got it. the right. total duration. The total duration of the actual, you know, AMRAP, email, whatever they're doing, right? They just at, for
0: non-cross. AMRAP people. is
1: as many rounds or reps as possible. And then you know you start talking about in the skill work, right? What is a the theme for the month? Are we trying to develop someone's handstand? Are we trying to? So there's a lot of things in play. It's 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 a it's a challenging topic to discuss briefly. But in theory, it's hey, let's have a let's have some big macro goal, right? Maybe it's to get everybody ready for a five kids coming up. Maybe it's to get the skill of maybe we start noticing that our gym members need benefit in X. Let's create that macro goal, and then during our warmups, make sure we touch base on it several times a week. Then let's have these other goals where it's like, we go heavy two, three times a week, right? Then we go longer Metcons or metabolic conditioning workouts a couple times a week. And we add in these short burst high intensity ones a couple times a week. So in, in skeleton, you want to think about, you want to push, you want to pull, you want to squat once a week, right? Um, you want to incorporate the Olympic lifts as, you know, when you can. And that's kind of like the big picture stuff. Mm-hmm. But you also, when you program, you want to think about kind of this idea of, you know, if I'm programming a workout, I want to think about what's going to keep people moving so you wouldn't want to do for example uh squats lunges uh jumping air squats uh jumping lunges and whatever like a bunch of whatever because what will end up happening is people will just burn out their legs and they'll just sit there and stand there until they can recover mm-hmm. but now if you did you know jumping lunges followed by push-ups they're not the same muscle, muscle groups group. right they're different functions and so you can keep your body moving
0: and as you mentioned uh when we were chatting before recording just the audio the Olympic lifts generally would come after, say, a, a familiarity, at least a familiarity, maybe a mastery of the mechanics of, say, powerlifting movements uh, and some gymnastic components?
1: Well, I think we incorporate the Olympic lifts early on. We do.
0: How do you do that safely?
1: I think it ultimately just comes down to the coaches that are doing it, right? How do you, you start off, you know, make sure that people can do it right with just the PVC pipe or a light bar, and then you can work your way up. But I think the difference is that whereas with the power lifts, it doesn't take as long to develop the, all the techniques incorporated with it, with the Olympic lifts it does. And so you need to be okay with doing the Olympic lifts early on, right? Almost from the beginning, it's okay. But you need to do them at a, a moderate controlled level versus the back squat, you can kind of push a little bit more. I mean, you could push them all, but you don't want to push the Olympic lifts so much so that you start developing bad habits. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies to the back squat, it's just a little bit less technical. So the Olympic lifts are a little bit easier to incorporate. Uh, you know,
0: they're, highly technical. Sure. Let's just say you have average person off the street or power lifter comes in. I want to learn Olympic weightlifting. If they have really bad thoracic mobility and shoulder extension, right? So they're, they're here, right? They can barely get their, their biceps past their, their ears. Do you have any, any favorite approaches to helping address that or, or any suggestions? You know,
1: our friend Kelly has some good tools at mobility wad, right? Kelly Starrett, yeah. yeah. Kelly Starrett. I mean, I think that there's Multiple different things you could do, but ultimately you need to commit to it, right? I mean, if you have poor, uh, you know, shoulder range of motion, it's going to take you a while to develop that. And you know, that doesn't mean you have to avoid all lifts altogether. Still do them. Just recognize you need to put in the time, you know, couple, you know, t- ten, twenty minutes a day to develop the range of motion and mobility. And the best way to do that is by incorporating the movements slow and control with light to little, no, no weight, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to really develop a good squat. Try and work on the squat up against the wall with no weight Mm -hmm. and work through the full range of motion of it.
0: Up against the wall, you mean facing the wall? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Question from Luke Campbell. Ask about his training with former endurance athlete and now coach Chris Henshaw. It was interesting to hear how a giant like Jason could build his aerobic capacity without sacrificing size or strength. How does he do it specifically?
1: That's (laughs) a great question. Um, You know, Henshaw is great you know, years ago I started looking at some of the results from across the games and it would be like, you know, top 10, top 10, top 10, top 10, 50th, you know, top 10, top 10. I'd be like, Oh boy, I got a glaring weakness there. And so I found Chris and he really helped me out. And he made running fun for me. He made running. Who want- is,
0: Who who is Chris just for so Chris those who don't know? He's a,
1: he's a local guy, right? He's here out of Palo Alto. In the, ba- in the Bay area. Yeah. And he's a former, you know, Ironman triathlete, really successful, but he, but he has a unique way of making running quantifiable and fun. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'll go to the track and before it just be like, oh, run 400 meters. I would just like run it aimlessly. But it felt good for him to give me, you know, 100 meter pace goals, 200 meter pace goals, et cetera. And then those goals then turn into something that I could really try and shoot for. And I think going back to the whole thing about someone going to the gym is for those people who are interested in doing running or doing types of stuff, having. A program that kind of gives you quantifiable numbers to shoot for, I believe is a great way not only to get better results, but also to keep it more fun. Mm-hmm. You don't need to just go out for a 5K on your own. That's cool. I get it. But you should start quantifying what your target numbers are and your target paces. And that's what I did with him. And that's why I was able to maintain those numbers.
0: When you were at your peak of, of training, what did your nutrition look like? And were there any go-to supplements on top of that it's a tricky sort of murky waters that we get into sometimes and it's fine if if, if any of them were sponsors but if you could uh, just indicate which which were if that's the case but uh diet so what did your nutrition look like in at the height of training and then any particular supplements that were kind of your go-to
1: so i i i never have and i until this day eat as much as what most people probably think i eat Um, but with the amount I was training, sometimes, you know, just broccoli and cauliflower weren't cutting it for the carbohydrates I needed to retain. So sweet potatoes had to be thrown in and things like that. I, I tried to eat real food right? I still do. I try and eat real food and I try and avoid excess amounts of sugar and different types of things. But that doesn't mean that if my daughter wants to go out and, you know, if it's her birthday, I'm not going to eat her birthday cake. And it it never has meant that, right? Right. I'm okay with that. I train because at times I want to be able to go in in, and enjoy a, you know, a margarita with my wife, right? And that's okay. And it always has been that same way, whether I've been training at the highest level or, or where I'm at today. And, you know, as far as recovery, you know, I partner with a company called Progenics. I think they make a good recovery tool for me, that's something I use. Outside of that, maybe some fish oil and 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 that's pretty much the extent of it, right? It's just real food. And I think people um don't realize the value you can get from just consuming real regular food. <laughs> mm-hmm. And did you track
0: macros and all that type of stuff? Just
1: no a lot of the guys at the top don't really track all the macros. Some of them do, but not 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 a lot of the guys, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them just work hard, train hard and just eat appropriately.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, this is this is a question I would love to hear your thoughts on. This is from Lee Jackson. What do you picture your workout to be when you hit 60 years of age? That is.
1: I mean, I think my workouts going to be roughly the way it is right now just just basically scaled down, meaning, you know, the the demands that I have at, you know, my age with you know, my strength, like we all need a squat, we all need a press, we all need a lift. So whether I'm 60, 30, 50, I still wanna be doing those same movements. I just might do a little bit of a less intensity, Mm -hmm. right? And even now being 31, the intensity that I can bring to workouts is a little bit different than when I was 25. My body's been beat up a lot by doing that. And so I just need to recognize it, listen to my body and recover as well as I can. Mm-hmm. But the amount of volume I'm putting in isn't as much as it used to be. And I assume by the time I'm 60, the amount of volume I'm putting in wouldn't be as much, but the movements would be similar. Is there any
0: particular type of movement, uh, conditioning, strength, fill in the blank, that you'd really like to work on and develop more now? In other words, you talked about like... T- top 10, top 10, top 10, 50th place, top 10, yeah. top 10. Are there any particular weaknesses that you're trying to work on now? It doesn't have to be limited to the gym either. Like, is there anything in, that you're you're they're, they're working on currently?
1: I mean, obviously, you know, I like rolling jujitsu. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of things to get better at there. But for me, it's really on the business side, on the family side, right? I'm trying to be the best dad I could be, the best husband I could be. And I'm trying to support our business and 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 run it the best way possible and treat people that way. And that's what I'm really focused on, you know? stealing a line from cube, and it's just a sport of business and I'm trying to win at that right now mm-hmm. um, for myself in particular. So that's what I'm focused on. My fitness side, I'm still hitting it all the time, right? I still work out really hard, but I don't have any specific goals other than just to maintain my fitness. Mm-hmm.
0: So this is this is actually a segue that we're gonna talk about family a little bit and uh, these were very highly upvoted. So this, this is a question from Sherry Gall. I've so admired him as an athlete and businessman his work ethic and determination to continue to improve as well as his humility have pushed him to great levels of success. I've also watched his journey through Ava's illness and seen him give back in the midst of it blood drives etc. I know behind all this is a good marriage. I'd like him to talk about marriage and how Ava is doing. I would also be fun to hear his perspective on the evolution of the sport but let's let's keep that separate. Could you talk a little bit just about the components of a good marriage and also, just tell us a little bit about your about your family and, and Ava, since yeah. a lot of people listening aren't going to be familiar.
1: Sure. Yeah. So my wife and I, Ashley, we started dating freshman year of high school. So 14, 15 years old. And we've been together almost ever since. What happened is we started dating for a week, two weeks, actually. I thought we were in love, right? I went home. I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I found the woman I'm going to marry, right? And I was all fired up. And then of course, two weeks later, she dumps me because she said I was too nice. <laughs> Well, (laughs) you know, a year later, right? She knew, she knew, you know, we were meant to be together. So we ended up getting back together again a year later. We haven't been separated since, right? So that was, you know, 15, 16 years old. And um, so, you know, we went to college, graduated college together, did our thing, got married in 2009, uh, had our first child in 2011, Ava. And then we had our second child in 2014, Caden. Ava was diagnosed with leukemia, January 21st, uh, 2016. So about a a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, I I think when you talk about what makes a marriage successful, I think it, it, it's an obviously a number of things. You have to respect each other. You have to become best friends. You need to be able to be okay with, you know, supporting each other on their journeys, but you also need to, um, align well on difficult times. And I didn't know that until Ava got sick. You know, when you're, in high school, you don't know how your wife is going to react or girlfriend is going to react to a negative situation in life. And I think what's really intriguing about what happened to us is my wife and I, and my family in general, has gotten a lot closer through Ava's um, diagnosis, primarily because she was so strong and she still is. And that's something that's really exciting for me because I take on, like, hey, you know, we're going to get after this, we're going to be successful. And she was the one who really started that from the beginning. You know, when we, when we first found out Ava had uh, leukemia, we, uh, we were called to the ER at Stanford ER before that she was having a lot of leg pain and different types of things. It was, it was, when did that start? How old was she? Uh, so she, so right now she's five, she'll be six and in, in a month, you know, it's look, looking back on it now, it probably, we probably could have identified that she had leukemia earlier, but everything like had a reason, like sure, she had an ear infection, then she had another one, then she had another one. And then you know, the doctors like, this is the worst ear infection I've ever seen. And we're like, wow, well, her immune system seems kind of suppressed. Like, we didn't really think about it. We're just like, oh, we'll, we'll just keep getting her medicine because she has an ear infection. Then it's like, oh, my legs really hurt. I can't walk more than 100 feet without stopping. Oh man, it must be growing pains. Let's get you a trampoline. Let's get you in a PT, all these different things. Then she started having bruising. And that's where we knew something was up. And so we went in for blood work. We called in the ER. And when they told us that night that she had leukemia, it was at like 2 a.m. in the morning. And I just remember, you know, it was was a, it was a very challenging time for us. And now I've had a lot of time to reflect on it. So I'm a little less, you know, uh, you know, I used to talk about it it was a lot harder now that I've reflected on a lot, it's a little bit easier to talk about, but I just remember when I told my wife, you know, she just, we went out, you know, we're, you know, I was crying and she just looks at me. She's like, Hey, look, you tell our family, uh, you know, tell our family, let them know she has leukemia but just tell them that they want to cry. They can cry out, outside. But as soon as they walk in the doors, they better be happy and they better have a smile on their face or else they can't be let in. Right. And it was kind of that mentality that was just like, you know, kind of like, you know, she's just like, yeah, hell yeah. We're going to crush this shit. And then it made me realize like, oh yeah, we're going to crush it. Like it was this very much so like football, like, you know, you're in the huddle and like you're in the fight of your life. And it's like, no, no, we're going to crush this thing. Right. And we've had that mentality ever since. and you know, her strength has been, has been awesome to see from a marriage perspective, right? So that's, that's a kind of a cool, cool thing to find out about your spouse.
0: For sure. What types of practices or routines, anything really uh, do you have that helps the family to be as cohesive as possible?
1: Well, I think we have a lot of really good family support. So we've been super blessed. You know, the night that my daughter was diagnosed, my mom and dad took uh, my son and took him for a month. We were in the hospital for five weeks right, um, Lucille Packard, they've done some really great things for us. Um, but you know, like when, when you see that family around and then all of a sudden my father-in-law would be there every day, my father-in-law would just be sitting in the waiting room, right, we, didn't, we wouldn't call him, we wouldn't do anything, we'd just be sitting there and that family dynamic has been something that's been really special to see and uh, it's something that we'll never, I'll never forget and even now, here we are over a year later and we still have a lot of challenging times and it's the family that helps us get through all of it, right? Because my, for example, on Saturday we were in Vegas, my mom and dad helped watch our children so my wife and I could go have a night out to ourselves. And those are really important things in life that my wife and I, since the beginning, have always said, hey, look, it's, we love our children but it's me and you first for our relationships. If our relationship isn't good, then we're not gonna be able to have a solid home for our children. And so we've really tried to set aside time to do date nights and do this and do that, which has really been helpful, especially during this time, because sometimes we have to have adult conversations. Like right after this, I'm going to go see a counselor because you know we need to get some support to help us with this situation. And my wife and I had to have adult conversation about that to go see a counselor. <laughs> yeah. Mm,
0: yeah. If you were giving advice to someone who, for instance, just found out their child is diagnosed with X, some type of very intimidating disease, and they wanted any thoughts or advice from you whatsoever, like for instance, what your wife said, which was, like, "You can cry, but it has to be outside. Right. Once you come in, yeah, you have to have a smile on your face." Is, is there is there anything
1: else that you would sh- that you would share with them? I think it's really important to educate yourself. Right, educate yourself on disease. So my daughter is A L L. It's a specific type of leukemia. Um, she's a. It's it's very treatable, which is awesome, right? There's a lot of them that aren't as treatable, and my heart goes out to those families. I mean, you come sit in the oncology department for a day with me, and you'll just be humbled. So, what I would say to them is, educate yourself. We've had phenomenal healthcare, phenomenal. But there's been one or two times where we've had to catch the doctors because sometimes, you know, they have other things going on. But for me, there's no there's nothing else going on. It's just this but I need to be able to educate myself on it with all the different medications. What's going on here? What is this? What are the side effects? What should we be looking for? Cause those things are critical, especially for us. I mean, we end up in the ER probably once every two weeks because of um, uh, uh, temperatures, but we have to be actively engaged to take the temperature. We have to be actively engaged on what the side effects are of certain medicines. And I think that's the most critical piece: is Educate yourself on what's going on because no one's going to care more than you're going to care.
0: This is going to seem maybe like a, a gear shift, but I think it could be related. When we were talking about transfer when we were in the gym earlier, looking at, say, modeling your push-up position so that it transfers to other movements, so your elbows aren't flaring out. Looking at deadlifting, say, first and foremost, in a conventional stance so that it transfers more to cleans and everything else. You mentioned AMRAP earlier, the, as many reps or as many rounds as possible. And you mentioned AMRAP philosophy before I hit record. I was like, okay, I want to come back to that. So what does that, what does that mean? Does it apply to areas outside of,
1: oh, outside yeah. of the gym? So it's actually something I've been working on for a while and I've given talks about. It. It's called the AMRAP mentality. And to me, it's the way that you know I kind of live my life and I'm trying to live my life. And what the AMRAP mentality really means is, think about if someone said to you, hey, I want you to do as many push as you can in, in a minute. While you're doing them, you're just focused on that, right? You're not focused on anything else. You just focus on the push-ups. And then when you're done with that, you move on. Right now, I'm podcasting with you. This is what I'm focused on. I'm, I'm amrapping with you right now. We're trying to do the best we can together. But what I'm not doing is on my phone, right, and talking to you and trying to work out at the same time, right? I'm not doing that because, you know, I think nowadays I would make the argument, I don't know if we're less productive or more productive than we were 20 years ago. Because 20 years ago, when you're at work, you're working. When you're at home, you're at home. Now it's this huge carryover. So what I found myself doing for many years, and I had to really nip myself in the butt and I still am trying to get a lot better, is I wouldn't be focused on my family or what, focused on what I was doing. I'd be focused on other things. There was times where I would go to dinner and I would be having dinner with my wife and I wouldn't remember anything we talked about because I would be thinking about the CrossFit competition I had coming up, right? And that was an example of me not wrapping, not being present and focused on what I was doing. So the theory is you identify your focus, right? Whatever it may be. And you know, for me, it's family fitness business. Then you work hard at it, right? You, whatever it may be. Then you switch gears and you do this throughout your day. And then every now and then you need to reevaluate. So I'll give you an example. For a while, I was going competing at the highest level in CrossFit, owning the business, and I had the family. Then I had more children, the business grew, and the competition got harder. So I decided to switch gears and go team because I didn't have as much time to allocate to these other things. So I had to switch gears, evaluate what was really important to me, and then do that. But then when my daughter got sick, it was another time for me to reevaluate. What am I trying to really focus on? And how many things can I actually AMRAP? So now I chose not to compete because I want to do the best I can at business. Then I want to switch gears and go best I can with family. And then I still want to work out, but I can't spend as much time on it. And that's kind of the AMRAP mentality is identify your focus, work hard at it, and switch gears and then every now and then reevaluate and get rid of some of the stuff on your plate.
0: And when you're when you're reevaluating, do you sit down with a a pad and a and a pen and write it out do you do you have a set time when you might do that in the morning or at night like if you could just describe perhaps some of the details of what that looks like
1: i mean reevaluating happens with big moments in your life such as your daughter getting sick or you're getting married or you have children you have reevaluate with the things you're going on you used to love maybe playing video games for 3 hours a day once you have a kid you need to reevaluate you can't do that anymore right you just can't it, it you need to reevaluate those times. And so reevaluation happens kind of internally for me, uh, whether I'm, you know, uh, on the bike, just kind of like, you know, thinking in my thoughts or whatever it may be, but I, I, I identify every so often when I reevaluate, but on a consistent daily basis, I try and check in with myself and try and ask myself, hey, did I do the best job today as I could to be a father, to be a husband, to be a business owner? And did I maintain my fitness? Did I do that today? And if the answer is yes, fuck, hell yeah. But if the answer is no, then there's always tomorrow, right? And and I think if you do those micro goals on a daily basis, it doesn't lead to these oh shit moments where you wake up and you've been doing the same thing for five years and you're unhappy, right? You need to start taking that into your own hands on a daily basis and, re- and evaluating.
0: What are some of your goals right now? Uh, from
1: a business standpoint? I mean, I just think that service-based fitness is the way to go. I really do. I feel very passionate about it. I think that you what look is, at What ho- does that mean? Just service, like you walk into a gym, I wanna be service. I want someone to help me, I want their guidance and direction. You know, think about hotels, you go into a hotel gym, the Four Seasons, everywhere else is like, hello sir, how can I help you, this, that. You go to the gym, there's no one there. You just get on the elliptical and you have an aimless workout, no direction, no guidance. So from a business perspective, I wanna bring service to the hotels. I want to bring service to corporate wellness, where instead of people just going to the gym and, you know, wearing their headphones, now all of a sudden they're creating connections and that helps with productivity in the workplace. It creates with fostering this sense of, of more culture in the workplace. And then also I want to do that on the, uh, you know, commercial side, open to the public. I want to be experts in the best at service-based fitness, right? Bringing the highest level of, of, of. Quality coaching combined with quality programming in a fun atmosphere—that's what we're really focused on right now.
0: This, then, if we could re- rewind the clock, this is from Tyler eggman I think it is. If you, that means Jason, could go back to 2008 after winning the CrossFit Games, what advice would you give yourself in regards for training for the games and/or business? Yeah, you know, what advice would you give yourself at that time? It doesn't have to be actually related to games or business. I'd say, hey, what advice? Period
1: the advice I would say is earlier on identify this whole concept of Amrap mentality and evaluate more regularly because there's times in my life that I, that I regret not spending quality time with, you know, but I mean, I don't necessarily regret because it has got us where we're at today, Mm -hmm. but there's been times where I haven't been the most present father. I've been doing a lot of different things and I wish I had learned that earlier on. Um, at least now when I travel or like this morning, I left the house at four and I'm not going to be home until later. At least now, Every time I do that, I recognize that it's a sacrifice I'm making, but that I have to accept it and then, you know, try and make it right in the future. Right. But at least being aware that there's sacrifice. I think before it was just kind of like I was trying to just do so much. Now I need to identify and say no to more things so I can really start pinpointing my focus.
0: The question I had earlier about how you go about doing that is is still one I'd like to dig into a little bit because I think it's so important. For instance, I was chatting Few months ago, with this uh, older gent, he's in his sixties. He has a couple, a uh, bunch of kids, and every quarter he gets a report card from his wife, and the report card is uh, zero to ten in four categories. He's got provider, husband, father, lover. Those are the four. Wow. And he for he owns his own company, at least one company, and travels a lot. So let's say he's traveling, but it's for business purposes, and he's opening up. New manufacturing plants or whatever it might be in China, who knows? So he's gone. So he'll get, he might get a 10 out of 10 in provider, but he's going to probably be very low on the lover score and so on and so forth, you know, maybe five out of six on the others, who knows? And it's allowable as long as he has a good average. <laughs> so it's like one can drop as long as the others are higher. Yeah. And, and so on. It, how do you keep track of, reprioritizing or or think about that is it is it all in the head or do you uh, put it down anywhere or is it something that you try to do at the end of each workday i know we talked about it a little bit
1: yeah i think it's just in my head i think it's just constant evaluation whether i'm um you know i like to let's just say you know be alone with my thoughts in like in the garage working out and i just think about you know hey what am i doing right now what am i doing well what can we do better at how can I be better at this this, this this this? and it's just that constant pursuit of being better at whatever I'm doing, and I think it's an internal conversation with myself, mm-hmm. and I think that if I ever get complacent or comfortable, that's where I start getting nervous and I think I want to get uncomfortable in business. I want to get uncomfortable and get out there and start sharing my message of what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish and provide for more people to do what they love for a living and these are the conversations I have in my head, right is hey. Ava's getting better. Now I can start focusing a little bit more on this, but don't forget about this, you know, and and things like that.
0: Do you have any favorite books or books that you've gifted to other people, either or both?
1: The one that stands out to me the most, I read a lot. I think there's some really poor books at the airport. I really do. (laughs) Sure. Um, Anyways, for me, I like more of a practical application book. I like a book um, like Mark Cuban's uh, Sport of Business. I like it because it gets me fired up. I like it because it's a... Real story from a real guy, just saying like it is, and it's easy reading. It's not so analytical and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the book I like. Got it. Let's talk about morning rituals, if you have any. So
0: this is from Da S.G. No, R in there, S.J., excuse me. What are some morning rituals or reflections that he does to keep passions alive while juggling children and life's twists and turns. So I would say, let's focus on the on the routines or rituals. Like, do you, have, do you have any, if we look at the first 90 minutes of your day, and I'm sure it varies, but generally speaking, are there certain routines, habits, elements that you have?
1: I'd say in general, it's probably some type of exercise. In general. There's exceptions to that, right? But in general, it's exercise. Will there be jujitsu, or, you know, hitting it in my garage, whatever it is, I like to get the body moving and I like to get flowing early in the morning.
0: Do you do that before
1: breakfast, after breakfast? Before. Before breakfast. Yeah, yeah. So that's before the kids get up. That's before my wife is up. That's before everything. That What time is that typically, would you say? Um, I mean, it varies. You know, it used to be a lot earlier and now it's like, I mean, well, this morning I left early and yesterday I left early, but on average it's probably like six. Six. Yeah, because some days it's a lot earlier, some
0: days is seven. And you're exercising on an empty stomach? Yeah. Do you drink coffee? I do. I love coffee. <laughs> do you drink coffee before your workout? Do you save that for later? How many
1: cups of coffee do you have a day? Um, I probably have one and a half. Okay. Very two, mo- very maybe. Mo- very moderate. Two, maybe. I love coffee. Um, but what I would do is normally exercise, come in, see the kids. I'll make my coffee, like doing pour overs. I want to get a really cool espresso machine. That's what I'm working on next. Um... And, you know, hang out with the kids, they get breakfast, boom, they go off to school and I go off to work and, uh, we do our thing and then I'll be there and I'll, you know, I'll go to meetings I'll go to different gyms. I'll try and just see what's going on. Then sometimes I'll do, uh, you know, a workout at, I'll take one of our classes right throughout the Bay area. And then, um, I'm always home for dinner at five 30 with the family. And then I get back on emails and different stuff around seven, eight, uh, around seven 30 till about 10. When the, because the kids go to sleep, mm-hmm. so basically I just regiment my day is like it's exercise, get the body moving, it's time with the family briefly in the morning, they go to school, I go to work. then when I get home at five thirty we have dinner, we hang out, then for the rest of the night, I'm doing work and I go to bed, I try and go to bed by 1030, ten thirty, ten ten thirty, and then do it all over again. Do you have any particular
0: and maybe this doesn't happen to you, but when you you have so many different hats, right? I mean you have your business owner, father, husband. Uh, certainly competitor, uh, may, uh, perhaps not going to the games necessarily, but still you have uh, ex- extreme athletic drive. Do you have insomnia or do you find it easy to sleep? Do you ever have insomnia? Or are you? Slow? No, I
1: find it pretty easy to sleep. <laughs> you know, you think with with the different stresses I have. Uh, no, I think it's because I exhaust myself throughout the day. Right. I, I generally run at a high, like some people say, it's like the, the um, full throttle or like, you know, like I generally run, on a high level throughout the duration of the day. Yeah. I'm kind of like a kid, you know, it's like, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. all of a sudden they get to you like, like a uh, bedtime. It's like, boom. Yeah. yeah, kinda,
0: yeah. Kinda you kinda what happens to me. You, get, you definitely have a sort of high standard RPM, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is good. Do you have any wind down routines or anything you like to do before bed?
1: I mean, generally it's, it's answering a lot of emails because during the day I'm doing a lot of other stuff. It's answering a lot of emails, getting back to people. And then sometimes my wife and I will watch a show together, but that's pretty much it.
0: That's it. And then yeah. faceplant.
1: And then faceplant. <laughs> and then on the weekends, I like, you know, we like to travel. We like to go do things like last weekend or this weekend coming up, we're going to Disneyland like with my daughter. And uh, the weekend after we're going to Mexico to see one of our locations, but also have a good time. So we try and travel mm-hmm. as a family and, and and have those times. Who do you go to for business advice? I mean, I got a few. I mean, you know, we have a few mentors that have really helped out. Some of our, our corporate partners, Western Digital is one of them. Some of the executives in there have really been amazingly helpful just in asking about things, because for me in my industry, sometimes I get overwhelmed. So I need to get outside my industry to start asking what's going on. And you know, I have also friends through different sponsorships that I have that they've really helped me out from, you know, Paul. And uh, I have a lot of people. And then in the beginning- Yeah, right, no, but it
0: like it was, who, who, who would they Like be?
1: Paul Gomez, this guy, Mike Cordano, Jerry, um, and then Joe Gigantino back in the day, right? He was like the original guy that really kind of took men wings from a business perspective. And then this guy, Min, Taught me
0: everything to do with sales. Okay, so wait, so is Joe the fellow on the elliptical?
1: Yep. Joe's the elliptical, and Min was a guy who came over on a ship from Vietnam, got in a concentration camp in, uh, I want to say like Korea or something, and then ended up getting here selling perfume door to door, and now he's doing really well for himself. So straight up hustler. How did you meet Min? He was a gym sales guy, and I wanted to be like him, because he was making big checks. So you met him
0: at the same time that you were also later doing the elliptical? Yeah mentoring sessions. Yes. Yeah, so what happened is I was, working, him. <laughs> I was
1: working the front desk and so men would put in his sales slips and I looked at his commission slips and I was like, dude, what's going on? Teach me how to sell. And he did. And that was really a cool experience because I learned how to talk to different people, identify what their wants and needs were and, you know, see what's going on. But it was also a time in my life where I started to recognize that you need to run an ethical business just because you make money. Making money is not everything in life. Running a very ethical, successful business is critical for me. And well, what would happen is I would sell them the dream like hey, join our gym for 999 a month and you know you're in the best shape of your life but they wouldn't and I knew I was selling them a false hope. and so that's when I got into the kind of like the group uh, coaching style, which just changed the game for me.
0: I want to talk about two two pieces of that. What made men so good at selling?
1: I mean, the best way to describe him is straight up hustler. I mean, just, just hustler. Like, <laughs>
0: right. But, like when, but for some people that's going to conjure the image of like some guy with a foldout table and three card money, he was like, oh, picks you know, up and runs away from yeah. the cops. When the sirens I mean, he just, start,
1: he lived by the code, you know, ABCs always be closing. He would just identify what someone needed to hear and he would work really hard at doing it. And there was no sugarcoating. He would follow up with people. He would tour people well. He showed me from an early age that there's no easy answer in life. You got to put in the work and you got to get on the phones and hustle it. And you want to, you want to get leads, go to the collections who like all the members who are past due, call them all and try and collect it. Go back to people who visited the gym from five years ago and call them. And I would just end up with stacks, be on the phone, maybe you get one.
0: What's the, uh, so what, what would be an example of say, an a, a potentially successful script or question when you're, when you're calling up the Glengarry leads that you have from five years ago, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what does a good call look like? If you were, if you, if you, if someone in your company had that job today and you're like, here's a stack, better start smiling and dialing. What would you tell them?
1: I mean, I think you start off just saying, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm Jason Kleepa with NC fit. Uh, just want to follow up with your, you know, whatever, um, whatever. I think really what you would try and do is just identify, hey, so, you know, you know, how was your experience? We're just checking up. Did you enjoy your experience? What were you looking for out of your experience? And you identify what they are looking for, right? And you say, oh, well, did you hear that we actually just added this program that, you know, kind of tailors to what they were looking for? And I think finding out what people are looking for, I think is really important. Instead of trying to force feed what you think they want, find out what they do want
0: right asking good questions yeah what's what's what are the magic ingredients to a good tour he said men toured well
1: oh man he he toured the best you know you know to some people it would just be treadmills and ellipticals but to him it was it was money-making pieces of machinery that you could sell hey this is the you know lifestyle 1032 right. top of its class it comes with a fan. It sings music to you, (laughs) right? And you just, it's
0: like selling a Mercedes, you know? It's like,
1: (laughs) and then you talk about the treadmill, you talk about this, that, oh, by the way, let me show you downstairs. Did we, you know, and then finally you get down and it's like, oh, did we tell you though that you could, for an additional eight dollars a month, you can get towel service? And let me show you where those towels go. And let me show you what they look like. and Let me show you the quality of them, right? And those are the type of things you learn, right? It's just. Yeah. Did he have a <laughs> Did he have a strong
0: accent or no? Oh yeah. No, that's great though because it just shows you like it does not matter. You no, know? very strong Vietnamese power. No, no, but he powered through it. I mean, oh, I, used, really? I used to live in San Jose and and uh, you know I used to go to a Vietnamese barbershop, and I, and it's it's one of my best friends growing up was Vietnamese in Long Island. And I, when, the, when anyone has a strong accent, it's a hard, it's a strong accent. But he was able, despite that, to just power through and become oh. one of the top, if not the top. Oh, he was he a was dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was a baller.
1: <laughs> Learned a lot from him.
0: Uh, all right. I'm going to ask just a few more questions and then maybe yeah. we, we can do a round two sometime since we're basically in the same, same neighborhood. Uh, one would be if you could put any message on a billboard, and this is a metaphor really, but just to get. A, a message out to millions of people. Let's, let's assume it's non-commercial,
1: right? So it can't be an advertisement. But what might you put on a billboard? I mean, I would, I would love to get this out to as many people as you could possibly push this to. It would just say, like, just be easy. Just, just, it's like, life is good. Yeah. And I mean that because I really believe that. Meaning, when you've seen children, you know, when you've seen children on oncology It changes your whole perspective. Yesterday, I was on the road and this woman is just tailing me so hard, coming around, getting all crazy. I just look over at her and I'm just like, easy, like, (laughs) easy. Like, life is good. You have a beautiful car. You look healthy and young and pretty, whatever. Like, chill the hell out, you know? And I think people, they get so caught up in these little problems and they let it manifest into something so great that they stop to, they never stop to reflect that, hey, look, life is okay. But I, I choose to look at the world, me personally, I choose to look at the world in a pair of glasses, not sunglasses. I choose to look at things in a brighter light because especially after, you know, I spent three nights in the ICU and I, my daughter was on the brink of not good. You know, you don't go to the ICU as a cancer patient. I mean, it was really, really not good, right? It was the only time that we really felt like it was a life and death situation. I'm sitting there and there's this baby to my left and he's seven months old. And his dad comes in, the baby had never left the ICU before and all night they were, they were sucking fluid out of this kid's lung because he had pneumonia or whatever it was. And I'm sitting there for two days straight, right up all night eating muffins, looking at my daughter over here, like really not in good shape. And this guy, this baby over here and the dad, I'm just sitting there like. And people are complaining that there's traffic and fucking are compla- and, and it's just, no, I'm not expecting people. I never want anybody to be in our position. I don't. But what I want them to do is to really reflect on their life and realize that everybody has something to be grateful for if you think about it, right? You're alive. You're well. You have the ability to get up and go do some amazing things, you know? And uh, I, I think that sometimes people get caught up and they forget that. And I think they could use a reminder of that.
0: Yes. I think that is where should we should wrap up. That is, uh, I think that is... If among many other things, what I want people to remember. So that's, that's a fantastic point. And just in closing, where can people find you online, learn more about you, learn more about your business and, and, and anything else you'd like them to take a look at?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, NC fit, right. NC dot fit would be great. Um, I'm very active on Instagram, Jason Klepa. Um, I don't use Facebook as much. I probably should. And Twitter, I probably use that one. K-H-A-L-I-P-A. And, um, you know, I do these things called box of business or seminars we do for affiliate owners or, or gym owners. My, my partner and I, JP, we do them all for, um, charity and pediatric cancer. And so, you know, back to one of the questions, we have a blood drive coming up in September. Uh, we do that on a nationwide scale at different CrossFit gyms around this the world. T-
0: just to place it, since people might be listening, five years from now, since so it's two thousand seventeen.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we're it. gonna do it on a daily, yearly basis. Oh, you are. Okay. Got oh, it. yeah. All right. All right. But at at the end of the day, um, yeah, you could just find me nc.fit, jasonclepa.com, or jasonclepa on Instagram. You can find a lot of stuff about about me
0: on that. Awesome. Well, guys, say hello to Jason, and uh, it's it's great to meet you, man. It's been a long time coming. I mean, I've uh, I've followed your career for a while now, so it's. It's really nice to meet in person, and thanks, Mark Bell, Mr. Smelly himself, Mr. Thousand Pound Back Squat, uh, for making the introduction. And uh, f- so first and foremost, uh, I should say thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you making, making the time today. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, really fun. And there's so much more to dig into, so uh, hopefully folks will be able to do a round two and get more questions answered. And if you want to see some additional video, make sure you go to tim.blog.com forward slash podcast where you can find show notes for this episode links to everything books and so on mentioned uh links to jason his sites and so on as well as some demos and work in the gym that we recorded earlier so you can find that at tim.blog forward slash podcast and as always and until next time thank you for listening hey guys this is tim again just a few more things before you take off This episode is brought to you by LegalZoom. I have used LegalZoom myself for many of my businesses, and many of the icons on this podcast have actually used LegalZoom. For instance, Matt Mullenweg of WordPress fame, CEO of Automatic, which is now worth more than a billion dollars, first incorporated his company on LegalZoom. LegalZoom is a reliable resource that more than a million people have already trusted to help with their businesses. Whether that's setting up a will, doing a proper trademark search, forming an LLC, setting up a nonprofit, or finding simple cease and desist letter templates. Man, do I use a lot of those. Uh, LegalZoom is not a law firm, but they do have a network of independent attorneys available in most states. They can give you advice on the best way to get started, provide contract reviews, and otherwise help you run your business. And important, there are no surprises. LegalZoom provides complete transparency. That means upfront pricing, customer reviews, and a satisfaction guarantee. Check out LegalZoom.com today to see how they can make life better and easier for you and your business. If you're pretending to be a lawyer on the internet, then you are asking for trouble. Put together the safety nets, get your T's crossed and your I's dotted, enter promo code Tim, T-I-M, at LegalZoom.com to save 15%. That's T-I-M for 15% off. Check it out, LegalZoom.com. This episode is brought to you by InkTel. I've used them personally. Ever since I wrote The 4-Hour Week. I've been asked over and over again how I choose to delegate tasks, how I do 80-20 analysis, and so on. At the root of many of those decisions is a simple question, actually two questions. Number one, how can I invest money to improve my quality of life? I use that in investing as well. The second, how can I spend a little money or moderate money to save significant time? Inktel is one of those investments. They're a turnkey solution for all of your imaginable customer care needs. I used Inktel during the launch of the 4-Hour Body, which was very, very involved, and they provided 24-7 customer service for my Land Rush campaign because it was critical for me to take care of every person who purchased my books and participated. This allowed me to focus on the things that I am better at, my strengths, like the marketing plan that we'd worked on for six months, implementing that. Intel trains their experienced customer service reps to know your business and your products inside and out and make your customers raving fans. They answer more than a million customer service requests every year and they can do so across all platforms, including email, phone, social media, text, even chat. Leaving your customers with poor service or just mediocre service, which by the way, in a competitive pool is a huge liability. Long wait times or unanswered messages carries a massive cost and risk to your business. Uh, Intel removes the logistics and headaches of this type of communication, allowing you to focus on your strengths and grow your business it can be a real competitive advantage. And I see many, many e-commerce companies and tech companies thinking of customer service as a good enough checkbox or an afterthought. And just like Airbnb, used design in innovative ways to be a, a competitor and to win, you can do the same thing with customer service. So as a listener of this podcast, you can get up to $10,000 off big discount. $10,000 off your startup fees and costs by visiting Inktel.com forward slash Tim. So check it out. For more info, go to Inktel.com, I-N-K-T-E-L.com forward slash Tim.